you want to open us? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, Father God, Lord, thank you so much. Um, once again, that you give us opportunity to uh, study your word. And Lord God, uh, it's been two weeks that we are not um, meeting uh, to do uh, Bible study, but dear God, uh, help us this night that we can uh, understand and we apply in our lives, dear God, what we have learned today or tonight. Lord, thank you so much. In all this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> and we uh, we lost a free grace brother this week. Uh, uh, David James. I don't know if you know him. Charlie knows him. I was going to tell Charlie. Oh, oh, oh she, he didn't know. Maybe. Yeah, I know David James. I don't know if that James is that James, <laughs> that yeah. David James. Yeah, so uh, we'll pray for him and his family at the end. Uh, okay. There's a couple people at uh, Duluth Bible Church now that have it. So we'll, we'll pray for them at the end as well. We usually pray for the virus at the end of the sessions. Oh, oh okay. Just, Keep them in your thoughts and in your prayers, and uh, we'll pray at the end also. Uh, right. So we are back in First John after, I think, three weeks away, because yeah. two weeks away for the conference, and then last week I couldn't get off the island. <laughs> so yeah. back in First John, hopefully we still remember everything we learned about, uh, about the nature yeah. of faith last time. Mm -hmm. We're looking at the nature of love, and this whole epistle has been driving towards this point, because we've been talking about uh, family relationship in the church, that we are children of God uh, by means of our salvation through Jesus Christ, and what does all that mean? Well, essentially, it comes down to faith, both saving faith uh, that enters into the body, uh, but then faith through which we are sanctified as well. Once we are um, children of God, we persevere in faith. We are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the nature of love is really kind of at the heart um, of all of this. It's the energy that moves all this forward um, because love is a divine attribute of God. Uh, here we're going to encounter a verse that says that God is love. Uh, John makes a few statements like this. He makes a statement that God is light. Um, so John gives us a lot of theology or paterology uh, of who the Father is, who God is. Um, and actually, it's not just paterology. It is theology because it's the entire Godhead. Um, who is God? And um, John gives us some very personal and intimate insight so that we can know who God is, and that is a personal knowledge of who God is, not just knowledge of the facts of who God is. Uh, this helps us to draw closer to God, to know him intimately. All right, <clears throat> so let's start here. Oh, we've got a question already. Uh-oh. No, no, no. Good evening. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's good. Yeah. Hi, Lisa. Hi, good evening, Pastor. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Janet. Good evening. All right. So 1 John 4, 7 to 8, we're going to start. Uh, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now in uh, John 1, 5, 1 John 1, 5, John has already told us that this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So we're told to abide in the light. And now John is telling us we, we need to abide in the love of God as well. Uh, so if God himself is love and God himself is light and we are to abide in light and abide in love, then we are to abide in the truth of who God is. Um, so we want to keep that in mind as we go through uh, the passage tonight. But also in this verse, it's sometimes used to say that people who do not love are not born of God. Um, so we want to break this verse down a bit and uh, look at what is uh, conspicuously missing from this passage. 
So if we look at it this way, it says, and it, it has a nice flow of thought here. It, it's, it kind of mirrors itself, but there's something missing from the reflection. Uh, so it says, let us love one another. That's a, a command. Uh, for love is from God. That's a reason. So God being the initiator or the, uh, the source of that love, um, God is loving us. Therefore, let us love one another. And so here's a positive statement. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the reasons why we can know this for sure, we've received through chapters two and chapters three, that when we are in relationship with God only, can we uh, replicate the righteousness of God. So those attributes of God are only available to the child of God. So because we are born of God, and because we know God, and this is speaking of an intimate knowledge, uh, then everyone who loves must be born of God and be in fellowship in a deeper knowledge of who God is. Uh, so there is intimacy with God if you are loving your brothers. That is a reflection of your intimacy with God. Now here's the reflection. The one who does not love does not know God. Now, notice there are two positive statements and only one negative statement. That's because we cannot say for certain that one who does not love has not been born of God. Because one who has been born of God might not know God intimately, though he has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ through faith alone. He might be walking in darkness. He might be out of fellowship with God and therefore not practicing the love that flows from God. So we see that this intimacy with God is necessary for our love of one another. So uh, the, uh, the brass tacks of this is one who is born of God but does not know God might look like one who is not born of God. We can't say that they are not born again. If they um, have at any time had faith in Jesus Christ, that faith alone seals them uh, in the regeneration of Christ, the baptism of Christ, and in, uh, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we know that all this is true because God is love. So the source of love is himself love, and therefore to, uh, to share his love with others, we must first, first be in intimate fellowship with him. And we can only be in intimate fellowship with him if we have first been born um, through him. So uh, if we know God, we can express his love. If we do not know God, and this is intimately, uh, we cannot uh, love others. But what is not present here, it does not say that the one who does not love is not born of God. It just means that they are not walking in that truth. And uh, we see that, again, the source of love is God, and God himself is uh, the progenitor of that resource. All right, so this again all has to do with being in him. Uh, this uh, John uses this term in him differently than Paul. Uh, Paul will often use in him to mean born again, to mean saved, but John is almost always concerned with fellowship. John has very few uh, statements in First John. In fact, I think we've only picked out two that have to do with initial salvation. Whenever he is speaking about being in God, he's talking about fellowship with God. So this passage again deals with fellowship with God. So we want to look back to where we first saw this uh, in First uh, John 2 verses 3 to 6. He says, by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. All right, so you guys are all Christians, right? Have you ever lied? Yeah, I'm seeing some thumbs up. Does this mean you are not a Christian? <laughs> no, it does not. No. Uh, so really, there are two options here, and it goes back to... Uh, to 1 John 1, uh, verses 6 through 10, uh, where it says we need to walk in the light and we also need to walk in the truth. 
Well, a Christian who refuses to admit the truth that they do continue to sin is either self-deluded or um, if they believe that they are sinful, but their sins exclude them from being Christians, from being saved by Christ, then they're going to be so depressed that they will be absolutely useless in this life. So they're either have, needing to lie to themselves and to everyone else, or recognizing the truth that they are sinful, but not recognizing the security that they have in Christ, um, they, they'll be a walking wreck, uh, quite honestly. But rather, we have freedom in Christ, knowing that uh, though, uh, though sinlessness is necessary for uh, fellowship with him, uh, sinlessness is only possible through the washing of Christ Jesus. And that is not only uh, the initial washing that brings us into the body of Christ, but continual um, washing of Christ as we confess our sins and we stay in fellowship with him. So these are fellowship issues. Uh, when we uh, lie to our parents, they don't disown us. They don't take us to the orphanage and say, sorry, kid. Uh, we confess our, uh, our sins towards them. Uh, they forgive us and fellowship is restored. So that is, again, what is being spoken of here. Um, about knowing someone intimately, especially knowing God intimately. Um, and the result of knowing him, of coming into close, intimate relationship with him, is that we obey him. Um, obedience is the natural result of coming to know who God is. Remember, God is light. God is love. When we know this love intimately, we desire to obey his commandments. Um, so it says the one who says, I know God, but they're not practicing these things. They're not um, showing these, uh, uh, these natural fruits of coming into a close intimate relationship with God. Well, they're not lying about being saved. They're lying about having intimacy with God. They're lying about having intimacy with Christ. Uh, and they are possibly, if not probably, lying to themselves about this as well. Um, and that's really gonna be the root of the problem. They have to be honest with themselves. Um, and that honesty, that, uh, that light that they need to walk in is going to be the light of scripture. Um, so they need to come to a deeper, better understanding of scripture so that they can understand the truth that they are indeed saved, but they are yet indeed in need of, uh, of continual washing by Christ because uh, they are still sinful beings. Uh, so here, oh, we've got a question. I have 1 John 1, 9 every time I sin. Yeah, First John 1, 9, that's basically, so I, I've heard it said this way, and I, I like it. It has, uh, it, it, it's not a direct one-for-one. One. There's some theological uh, loops you got to jump through here, but First uh, John 1, 9 is basically the sacrificial system for the Christian age. In the Old Testament, they had the whole Levitical code, all these sacrifices they had to do for uh, specific sins. We have one, um, and it's not a sacrifice. In fact, it is a joy to come before the throne of God and uh, confess our sins, knowing that we will be cleansed by the blood of Christ. Um, so 1 John 1, 9 is the sum total of the Christian's sacrificial responsibility during the church age. Um, we, come and, we come to the Lord and we confess our sins, and we know that we will be forgiven of those sins. And that forgiveness doesn't reinsure our salvation, it reinsures our fellowship. Um, it brings us back into fellowship, just like a Jew who sinned was not no longer a Jew until he sacrificed um, a, uh, an animal, but rather he, living under the rule of life of the law, uh, was out of fellowship with the one and only God of Israel uh, until he brought the proper sacrifice. Um, so he wasn't disowned from his Jewishness um, he was merely out of fellowship, and the same for us. Uh, so continuing on here, uh, verses 5 and 6 in First John 2, says, But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. So the love of God is present still in those who uh, are lying about knowing him intimately, but perfect love, remember that perfect or perfected love, casts out all fear. Uh, it says, by this we know that we are in him, the one who says he abides in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So when we are replicating the righteousness of Christ, that righteousness has not emanated from us. That righteousness has emanated through Christ working in and through us. 
Um, so we know that when we are uh, obeying him, uh, this obedience could only come from him. <clears throat> All right, so we have, again, the commandment to abide in the light. It says, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother. Now, this gets to our issue tonight because uh, we're supposed to love one another if we are uh, if we know God intimately. So the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now I'm not going to ask for a thumbs up or a raise of hands on this one because uh, uh, this one hits home a little harder. Uh, but we have all experienced being upset with our brothers and sisters in the church. Uh, I, I don't know a single Christian who has never been hurt by another Christian. In fact, it seems far easier to be hurt by Christians than not. Um, so here, uh, this is an important verse for us in the church to really grab hold of, to really understand that we are going to have times where sin gets a foothold. And we are tempted to hate our brothers and sisters. Now, um, if you guys remember when we got to 1 John 3, 11, uh, we saw basically that we should expect the world to hate us. But we should be shocked and surprised when a brother hates us and or when we hate a brother. Like, and that's speaking of a brother in Christ, uh, fellow Christian, because the ideal for a Christian is to remain in fellowship and to love one another as Christ has loved us. In fact, that is the law of Christ. That is what we ought to be doing. Uh, but that does not mean that other experiences are impossible. That means when we experience something other than love for our brothers, we need to put the brakes on whole. Uh, like we just need to stop the car and get right with God ourselves. Uh, because as we can see in this verse, our hatred for our brother doesn't begin with them wronging us. It begins with us not walking in the light. It begins with us not recognizing the sacrificial love of Christ. That uh, I don't think I have this verse in here, but you'll remember from Romans, uh, he died for us while we were still sinners. Uh, while we were still enemies of Christ, uh, he gave his life for us. Uh, well, our hatred for our brothers usually stems from um, what we um, believe we are owed by our brothers, what we believe we should expect from um, fellow Christians, rather than beginning from the position of self-sacrificial um, intentions towards our brothers. So if we are self-sacrificial towards our brothers and sisters, uh, and we have come or we have uh, confessed our sins, we have drawn close to the Lord, we are in fellowship with him, both in prayer and in um, scripture, and yet our brother is attacking us, but we have no hatred towards them. At that point, you'd want to, uh, to uh, discuss this with them. Um, you'd want to bring a fellow Christian together to discuss it with them if they don't hear you. Uh, and if it uh, continues, then you bring it to the church as a whole, uh, but you want to make sure that you have started with your own heart and made sure that, that is, uh, those issues are brought to the Lord first. You don't want to uh, uh, be angry with your brother and so immediately go to him and tell him, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You want to check yourself first to make sure that you are walking in the light. Because more often than not, the problem is both Christians just have the blinders on to their own sins. Uh, they're not willing to look at themselves before they look at the other. <clears throat> All right, so verse 9, by this the love of God has manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Now this is really uh, a double-handed statement, uh, both in a positive way, that not only do we live through him, uh, through our salvation, our justification, but we live through him um, in our sanctification. Um, and oftentimes, John will conflate um, these two ideas into one single statement, because um, although we recognize the three tenses of salvation being justification, sanctification, and glorification, 
the past uh, finished work of Jesus on the cross, the continued work in the body of the believer, and the future glorification of that believer. Uh, these terms are not always distinguished uh, because certain aspects of them are shared or uh, uh, consistent with each other so that it's not uh, um, a phase one, phase two, phase three. Uh, some Christians will experience sanctification immediately after their justification. Some will go uh, a long time before they are sanctified in any way, uh, but it's all by the same means of faith in Christ alone. Um, so because the source of our justification and our sanctification is the same, and John is focused with the source here, uh, so John is going to look at uh, both of the first two tenses of salvation here, uh, focusing on its source, uh, because again, the love of God, God being love, is that source. So it says the love of God was manifested in us. Uh, this was true uh, at our justification, and it is progressively true in our sanctification. So God was manifested in us that he has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. That is, we have a new life in him and we have our Christian growth, our life um, as we grow up in the body of Christ through him. So we are children of God and this comes with uh, certain benefits um, and certain responsibilities. As children of God, it says in uh, 1 John 1, or no, not first on John 1, 12 to 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name, uh, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So a couple important things to pull out here. Um, we receive Christ uh, through faith alone. It says whoever has believed in his name, has uh, received him, and the immediate result of that is that we are, or that we become children of God. We are born again uh, in the seed of Christ, in the spirit of Christ. Uh, so this is not birth by blood, not birth by water, um, but birth through Christ. Uh, and this is the birth of God, spiritual birth. Uh, so this is where we get the term born again. Uh, you might have heard that uh, we are born again believers. Uh, that simply means uh, that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And once you are born, you cannot be unborn. Um, you cannot, uh, just like Nicodemus says, uh, can I enter back into my mother's womb? Well, no, you can't. And now that's not the, uh, the intention he says was, was not in the sense of can I be unsaved once I'm saved. Um, but I think the image also bears true for us. Um, once we are born of God, we are secured. We are held in the double grip of Christ and the Father. And we're also indwelt by the Spirit, and that is a permanent indwelling as well. So all three members of the Godhead have a hold on us. Um, no matter what we do, we do not become unborn. Though we might lose faith, we do not lose salvation. All right. <clears throat> So let me try to remember why I put this in here. Oh, yeah. Okay. So John 1, 9 through 11 says, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his, uh, and those who were his own did not receive him. Um, so he being light, uh, light and love, came into this world, um, and he came into this world with a purpose. He came into this world uh, to uh, fulfill the law of Christ, or to fulfill the law of Moses, uh, so that we might be, uh, uh, have access um, to the righteousness of Christ through him. Uh, so we're going to encounter again this term propitiation. Uh, well, it was a propitiation for what? Propitiation is a satisfactory payment. Uh, how was the payment made? It was made through uh, fulfilling the law of Moses, a sacrificial death to cover the cost of sin. 
so the law of Moses was necessary, but the law of Moses is not something we live under today. Um, and that's going to be important here. Uh, in Galatians 5, 4 through 6, uh, we see that our unity with Christ um, in the spirit through faith cannot be um, at the same time as our unity to the law. If we are united to the law, we are not united to Christ. So it says, you have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. So 1 John 4 is concerned primarily with these two topics of faith and love. But what does this, these terms here mean? Um, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Uh, well, circumcision uh, was one of the requirements of the Mosaic law. It's also a requirement of the Abrahamic law. Uh, but what God has in mind here, speaking through Paul, uh, the writer of Galatians, is salvation. He's broken down the border wall between Gentile and Jew in the sense of salvation. That where the law used to stand as a barrier between the Gentile uh, receiving the spiritual blessings of Israel, uh, including salvation, now this no longer exists. Uh, that this uh, wall created by the Mosaic law has been taken down. But uh, what Paul is dealing with here particularly is what we have come to call the Galatian heresy, that um, you can contribute to your salvation through works, uh, that uh, once you are saved or in order to be saved, you can do good works in order to uh, add to your reward or to uh, add to your justification, which is uh, the more dangerous inflection of this heresy. Uh, they're both dangerous though. Um, but so what he is saying here is you have been severed from Christ because they are seeking to be justified by the law. Now, Paul uses this term justification primarily uh, to speak of uh, what we also call justification, initial salvation. But here he says you have fallen from grace. Um, so where grace is available to them, where grace is afforded to them, uh, they choose instead to work for their salvation. Um, he is going to say in the next verse, which I did not copy in here, um, Actually, let me read it from my own uh, things here, Galatians 5, um, 7. He says, you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. So we know that uh, the audience that he is speaking to were, uh, were saved believers in the church of Galatia. But the problem was they no longer relied on grace. They have fallen from grace. They have begun to rely on fulfillment of the law. So Paul, um, in no uncertain terms, tells them, you are either under the law of Moses or you are under the law of Christ. But one is a law of death and one is a law of life. Uh, and how is that true? In Romans 10, 3 through 4, Paul tells us uh, that not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So trying to be righteous by doing or fulfilling the works of the law, when you yourself are not righteous, as Christ was, uh, this means that you are not subject, you are not obedient to the righteousness of God. You're, uh, in essence, saying, my righteousness and God's righteousness can equally work to save me. Well, that's not true. Only God's righteousness can save you. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, this term end uh, means the goal, the finish line. Uh, but once the goal or the finish line is hit, once it is met, the race is over. It's done. The Mosaic law was only meant for a temporary institution. Uh, to bring about the righteousness of Christ, the fulfillment of the law, the payment for our sins. Um, it was a uh, rule of life for the Jews, but it was never a means of salvation, and it cannot become a means of salvation, um, either before or after Christ. 
So going to uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 8. So you can see this is a consistent theme throughout Paul's writings. And most, uh, most of his books touch at least somewhere on uh, the termination of the law of Moses. So he says um, in 2 Corinthians 3, but the ministry of death, that is the Mosaic law, in the context um, a little earlier, earlier in this chapter, he has indicated that he is talking about the Mosaic law, um, but the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones. Now, those were the Ten Commandments. So we're not just talking about the 600 plus rules that were not part of the Ten Commandments, but we are talking about the entire Mosaic law including the Ten Commandments. Um, so he says, if that ministry of death came with glory, so it was uh, a glorious law, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently on the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, uh, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? So we had the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. Now we have the law of Christ. And Paul's argument here is, if the law of Moses, which led to death, was glorious, how much more glorious the law of Christ that leads to life. So he continues, for if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. So he says, so much more glorious is the law of Christ that by comparison, the law of Moses, which was glorious, has no glory because the contrast is just so great. For if that which fades away, now this fades away is key again, what fades away disappears. The Mosaic law has faded away, it has disappeared. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. <clears throat> All right, so uh, a little note on the law of Christ. The law of Christ essentially boils down to um, loving God and loving one another as God loved us. Now, where this differs from um, Christ's estimation of the Mosaic law was love others even as you love yourself. Um, but, you know, it is possible to, uh, to hate yourself um, so this is not a perfect standard. Uh, it is a perfect commandment, but not a perfect standard. Christ himself is the perfect standard of the law of Christ. We are not to love each other as we love ourselves. We are to love each other as Christ loves us. So that is self-sacrificial love for one another. Now, the law of Christ has many other um, commandments as part of it, um, but uh, the motivation behind the law of Christ is also different than the motivation behind the law of Moses. The law of Moses was a motivation of do this and then either be blessed or be cursed. But the motivation behind the law of Christ is you have already been blessed. Therefore, go and do this. Uh, so our motivation uh, is not in order to gain blessing or to avoid cursing. Um, our motivation is the love that Christ has already shown us in dying for our sins and in promising us eternal life through him. Um, so based on that motivation, we fulfill the law of Christ. All right. So here in John 3, 20 through 21, we saw this a couple weeks ago, but I love this and I want to remind us of this. It says uh, for everyone... Excuse me. Um, the, the PowerPoint is not appearing on the screen, isn't yes. it? Uh, okay. We are, yeah, okay. Okay. Now I see. All right. Uh, it says uh, in John 3, 20 to 21, for everyone, oh, this is not the one I was thinking of. The one I love is later, but this one's still good. <laughs> for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Uh, and this, I think, is one of the biggest uh, issues for uh, living in the light is when we do not understand the motivation for walking in the light. Uh, we fail to walk in the light. When we don't understand that we have been secured in Christ, 
we have been given new life in Christ. Uh, therefore, seek the light of Christ uh, in love. When we still, uh, when we are still experiencing fear, possible loss of salvation, uh, whatever might cause that fear, we are tempted, uh, if not tricked, into walking in darkness. Uh, uh, without bringing up names, there was a, a very well-known Christian uh, speaker a couple years back uh, who, it was discovered, had, uh, had some very tawdry affairs, uh, and uh, he passed away before this was ever discovered. But while everyone is uh, arguing over uh, his salvation, to me, the argument was uh, a little more sad than that. Everyone was saying, well, if he was doing these bad sins and these bad sins, was he even saved? Well, you know, it's exactly that attitude that probably led him to conceal um, his issue with this sin. And that is what caused it to grow because sin festers and grows in darkness. When the light is exposed to it, uh, it is dealt with. So it probably didn't start as a big, huge uh, sin in his life. It probably started as something not innocent, because sin is never innocent, but something that could have been dealt with and handled much better. Uh, but he being um, one who taught and uh, believed that salvation um, only came to those who persevered, probably feared for his reputation and his own salvation because of the sin. And that fear led him to hide this sin from those who could have helped him. Um, so we do not want to be um, in that same situation. We want to recognize the truth of scripture, that we are secure in Christ. Therefore, whatever sins crop up in our lives, we do not want to walk in the darkness about those sins. We want to bring those to the Lord. And if we need the help of brothers and sisters, we should. Yes. Yes, I agree with you, Janet. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, Janet just mentioned the, uh, the evangelist I was speaking of. And yeah, I, I do want to be clear. Um, I do believe he was saved. Uh, he confessed Christ. He, he believed that Jesus Christ uh, was the um, satisfactory payment for sins. Uh, and that is all it takes to be saved. But his walk was destroyed. Uh, by his doctrine. His doctrine led him to, uh, to ruin his uh, sanctification process by not continuing to rest in the grace that saved him, but uh, walking instead in uh, what is doctrinally called the perseverance of the saints, that the saints must persevere in order to be certain of their salvation. Uh, this is a, a very evil doctrine. All right, love and its divine cause. We saw already that God is love. So it says that in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, this is the verse that I just love, recognizing that we are not required to manifest love from within ourselves. We reflect the love of God because he has already loved us. Now, this Sunday, I'm preaching on, uh, on day four of the creation, the creation of the sun, moon, and stars. And uh, one of the commentaries I just read last night was by Henry Morris. And he's talking about uh, a lot of the science stuff in it. But uh, he makes a comment that the moon itself does not create light. But when God puts these two lights in the sky and he says, the two great lights, the greater one to rule the day, the lesser one to rule the night. Uh, the moon itself does not create the light. The sun reflects off the moon, and that light um, comes to the earth. But God, in his scriptures, still speaks of the moon as a great light. Uh, it's a lesser light than the sun, but it's still a great light. Uh, we are the same way with the love of Christ. We do not create the love that shines from us when we are walking in the light but we do indeed shine the light of Christ, that when we are, uh, are walking in the light and not uh, hidden from his presence or hiding from his presence, uh, we do shine that light of Christ. So we want to be like the moon reflecting the light of the sun.
All right. Romans 5, uh, for if we were enemies, uh, for uh, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So these, again, have in view first and second tense salvation. We were enemies of Christ, and still he chose to die for us. And if he loved us enough to die for us while we were not in fellowship with him, while we were not um, part of his family, how much more, now that we have been brought into his family, does he show us love? That uh, he doesn't just uh, save us into the body of Christ and then say, uh, good luck dealing with your sin nature. No, he provided us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And as the Holy Spirit gets more of us uh, through us yielding to that spirit, uh, God can do amazing and incredible works in the life of Christians. Uh, we can take, for example, John, uh, who wrote the Gospel of John here, uh, on the way down to Jerusalem just prior to the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, they went through Samaria, and the Samaritans refused to receive them into their homes because Samaritans did not like Jews traveling through their land on the way to Jerusalem because they thought that they should be worshiping at Mount Gerizim, not at Mount Zion. Uh, so the Samaritans did not accept Jesus or uh, any of his apostles uh, into their homes to sleep on the journey to Jerusalem. So what does John say? John says to Christ, should I call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Well, this is the same man who's epistle we've been reading for months now, um, who is so concerned with self-sacrificial love. Uh, so this, this man whose life has been radically changed, not only, uh, not only looking forward to the future, but his day-to-day -day walk, his life, his sanctification, um, his pastoral heart has all been created through Jesus Christ. Uh, that because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, he has rendered it possible for us to live a new life in Christ, that uh, this kind of love we would never have expected to see from the sons of thunder, uh, John and James, uh, in the Gospels. Now we see uh, just a very tender-hearted man, um, so concerned with truth, um, but especially with love. So he continues on, Paul does, um, and not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We have been reconciled to Christ. This is in the perfect tense. It is completed. Um, we're almost done here. Uh, in Hebrews 9, 26 to 28, uh, we see that Christ has uh, successfully provided a propitiation in providing a satisfactory sacrifice says, but now once at the consummation of the age, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for the salvation without reference to sin. To those who eagerly await him. Now it's easy to uh, just read over this uh, little clause here, or uh, without reference to sin. He's going to appear a second time, but he's not coming a second time to provide a second propitiation. He has provided once for all for the sins of all mankind a satisfactory death. He is coming again, not to provide salvation, but to finish salvation, to glorify his saints together with him. Um, so the sin aspect of this salvation has already been taken care of. The experience aspect of this where all of our positional truths become experience in the glorification um, that is coming when he returns. Um, all on the foundation, all on the basis of what he has already completed. So here uh, we see John has already made this argument that he is now expanding on in chapter 4. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's not writing these to us so that we might be saved. He's writing to us concerned with our sanctification, that we remain in fellowship. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, that is a lawyer uh, with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, the payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now that cannot be stressed enough. Atonement is not limited to an elect group of individuals. Atonement is available to the entire world. So we say this is not limited atonement, this is unlimited atonement, that whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ, or uh, salvation has access to this payment. Uh, now, uh, this, this really struck me this last week because I was thinking about this, that's, that hell really is the most unnecessary destination of any person because Jesus Christ has already fully paid for him uh, to be rescued from his destiny in hell. The ticket has been purchased. Jesus Christ is holding the ticket in front of him and saying, just take it. Uh, get on the train, essentially. And the man says, nope, I'll get my own ticket. Uh, this is the most unnecessary destination, hell, because the payment is not, like, Jesus isn't waiting to see who's going to accept him before he makes the payment. The payment's already been made. He has already provided that payment. The ticket is already purchased. The train's waiting at the station, ready to take off. Uh, just get on board. Uh, all right. Lastly, last verse tonight. James 3, 13 to 15. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. So look at this wisdom uh, in comparison to the wisdom that John has provided for us in the first part of chapter four. Wisdom, according to John, depends on faith and depends on love. Uh, when faith and love are working together, we abide in Christ, we abide in the light, we abide in the truth, we abide in love. Um, all these things become true of the believer when we have faith and when we have love. Uh, but here, the result of earthly, natural, and demonic wisdom is bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Um, so when those are being manifested, it doesn't mean that we are not saved. It means that we are not walking in the light of the truth of what our salvation has provided to us in this life. We are walking as though natural, we are walking as though earthly, um, and we are being demonically deceived. Um, so we need to confess our sins, to come into fellowship with Christ, to walk in the light, that when he convicts our hearts through scripture, through prayer, uh, we need to be obedient to that conviction. All right, <clears throat> so uh, Here's a final exhortation as we go. And uh, next week, we'll look at this verse with the next section of verses. And it says, uh, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So uh, that is our conclusion and our takeaway from this evening. Uh, because God loved us, let's love one another. Not with love that comes from us, but love that comes from Christ. All right. Here we go. Uh, so thank you all once again. Another lovely evening spent uh, together, uh, spent together in the Word um, and in fellowship. Uh, I think this is this is pretty special. We're all around the world. So uh, yeah. thank you, Pastor, for your time. So I'm going to close this in prayer um, and pray especially for the pandemic and those who are affected by it. Uh, lots of people here in Washington just lost their jobs because of the pandemic. Um, so we'll pray for, uh, for that as well. Right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your revealed word. We thank you for the promise of future glorification. We know that uh, that nothing on this earth, either um, either de death, sickness, or uh, poverty, can uh, can take away the promises, the glory, and the riches that you have given us in Christ. Um, so, Lord, we want to uh, lift up those families who have been affected by this pandemic, by the coronavirus, uh, those who have lost loved ones. Uh, we uh, pray for the salvation of those um, who might still succumb to this, uh, to this disease, who have not yet come to know you through Christ Jesus, uh, who have not accepted uh, 
salvation on the basis of Christ alone. Uh, we pray for their salvation, Lord. Uh, we pray for those who have uh, already gone on to, uh, to glory with you. Uh, we know that there's no need to pray for them, um, but we pray a prayer of praise and thanks that we know exactly where they are, um, that we know that we will see them again. Um, and we know the joy that they are experiencing right now being face-to-face -face with you. And uh, Lord, that, that's hardly imaginable uh, for us on this side of eternity. But uh, just as Paul says, uh, now we look through a glass darkly, but then we will see even as we are seen. So uh, Lord, we, we thank you that we have this promise that we can have this peace in our hearts uh, of eternity together with you. So we pray all these things, Lord, uh, and for our fellowship with one another and with you uh, and for your glory in your name. Amen. 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 All right. Amen. Next week. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.